Welcome to Series 2 of the Writing Around the Kids podcast, where we talk to a wide range of women writers who kindly share their experiences and tips. This series is jam-packed with brilliant writers from lots of different genres, so there's something for everyone. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Writing Around the Kids podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Anna. And today we are delighted to have Josie Lloyd. Hello, Josie. Hello. Great to be with you. Fantastic. So Josie Lloyd is the best-selling author of over 20 novels and several parodies, um, which she co-wrote with her husband, Emlyn Reese, including We're Going on a Bar Hunt and The Very Hungover Caterpillar. Also with Emlyn, she wrote the 90s rom-com, rom hit, sorry, Come Together, which was published in 26 languages and made into a working title film. In 2018, after going through breast cancer, she wrote the novel The Cancer Ladies Running Club, which is currently in development as a film with Lionsgate. Hoping to inspire others with her positivity, she's a patron of the charity Lobular Breast Cancer UK. During the pandemic, she discovered the joys of cold water swimming and wrote Life Saving for Beginners, a novel about community and friendship. She lives in Brighton with Emlyn and their three daughters and sprolly Ziggy. Welcome, Josie. Thank you. (laughs) So um, Josie is going to do a reading for us today from Life Saving for Beginners, which came out last summer. Uh, In life's stormy waters, it's your friends who keep you afloat. Maddie Wolf's life has just capsized. After her 20-year marriage suddenly implodes, she heads to Brighton to search for her strange son, Jamie. But he's nowhere to be found, and for the first time, she's totally alone. That is, until she meets the Salty Seagulls, a group of feisty sea swimmers. 72-year-old Helga is determined not to slow down, while 30-something Tor is still figuring out who she is. Bereaved Dominica is trying to find a reason to carry on, and busy mum Claire is learning to put herself first for a change. As their regular cold water plunges become a lifeline for them all, Maddie starts to realise that these brave women might just help her find both Jamie and herself. Together, they'll turn the tide. So, brilliant. Um, yeah, you're, um, if you just want to let us know whereabouts you're going to uh, read from, so we've just got the context for that. Yes. So, I'm going to read from the beginning of the book because it's a nice description of Dominica going in to the water. It's on Christmas Day when we first meet the women on the on the seafront. And this is before they've been introduced to Maddie, who is in her own, her own kind of world of hell at this moment in time. But at the moment, Dominica, Tor and Helga are on the beach. So um, this is from Dominica's point of view. I wrote the book um, from the different women's point of view. And this is from uh, Dominica's point of view. But it's a nice description of what it's like to be um, on the beach on Christmas. So anyway... Here we go. Over by the other groin, some teens scamper across the stones in bright bikinis, squealing. Everyone is supposed to be socially distancing, but somehow the government's rules don't seem so pressing here at the water's edge. She used to get angry about joggers breathing and shoppers crowding the pavements with their masks on their chins. But after what happened to Chris, she doesn't waste her energy anymore. The world is already full of judges and snitchers without her joining their ranks. What's the point when the worst has already happened? Besides, it's natural for people to interpret the rules and bend them to their own making. As Chris always used to say, people are like water. They'll always find a way. Come on, Helga declares in her funny accent, half Danish, half Cockney, marching past and stop darling you two. Get in. 
In a couple of strides, Helga's surrendering, surrendering gracefully to the water, bending her knees, her shoulders sinking. She sighs as if the sea is a lover welcoming her with a caress. She flips onto her back, her face radiant. She might be the other side of 70, but in the water, Helga looks about seven. Her feet pop up as she floats, her arms out to her sides like a quirky otter. Dominica sees her focusing on the bandstand and knows she's working out which way the current is running from the pull on, the, on her body in the water. She's a stickler for water safety. Dominica walks forward with Tor, concentrating on making sure she doesn't hold her breath. But it's a shock nevertheless, bringing her fuzzy brain into focus like a camera lens. The beach, the land, every thought she had up until just moments ago is in the past. There's only now. She's tried meditation, but this works much better for calming her scrambled thoughts. A plunge in the sea pushes her mental reset button like nothing else. She knows the trick is to get her hands in, so she walks in deeper, her fingertips under the surface, her gloves filling with cold water. She's aware now of the sound of the sea and the sucking shush of the backwash. The water, which had seemed a clear green from the shore, is tea-coloured up close. A wall of milky builder's brew is coming closer now, rearing up in her vision, and she stands firm, letting the waves sweep her up in her path, lifting her off her feet. And she's in. She sighs through her mouth like a woman in labour, going through her natural reaction to gasp as the cold water hits her spine. She can just see the black shadows of her gloves as she breaststrokes out towards the glittering horizon. The waves are bouncy, and the exposed bit of her neck at the base of her hair tink line tingles like a high-top drum. She's aware of her skin, the whole of it, singing. Chris, oh Chris, how you'd love this, she thinks, noticing the tears rising, but she's resigned to them. On land, she feels that she's a vessel full of unshed tears that might spring a leak at any time and buckle. But here, where the water inside collides with the water outside, she feels more solid than she has done for days. She carefully puts her face under the surface, not wanting to get her bobble hat or her hair wet. She likes the feeling of violent masochistic brain freeze and she takes the opportunity to open her mouth and scream as loudly as she can, knowing that only the sea will know this secret and the others won't hear. She comes up, the salt taste of the water filling her mouth and her nose, the cold seeping into her bloodstream like the delicious relief of a drug. Oh, that's such a beautiful description. <laughs> Obviously, you said that... Um you took up swimming uh, sea swimming yourself and Anna, Anna and I both swim in the sea as well and so um can like yeah really connect with that idea of um being in the moment in the water and so on so it's yeah I think you captured it really well yeah it was actually thank you it was actually really it weird for me because I was I'd written like I'd written Cancer Ladies Running Club all about going through breast cancer and running and that was a really fun book and I wanted to, I was in the middle of writing another book I was writing for my second book of my book contract a book called Love in the Death Cafe because I've been to a death cafe and it was it struck me as such an interesting and uplifting place or dinner to um to talk about death and I wanted to talk about how as a as a, as a society we never talk about death and we never confront it and I had quite a lot of issues around my mother dying so I wanted to, I, which is why I'd gone to the death cafe mm. and um and <laughs> but then COVID struck and I'm writing a book about how we never talk about death when all we were talking about was death and it was like oh my god I'm writing a contemporary novel mm. about a subject how on earth am I going to do this so I had to kind of pull the book and say I can't write this because at that point we didn't really know what was going to happen yeah, with the pandemic sure. and, you know we didn't know what was going to happen on the other side 
Um, and so I kind of, I always think you should write what you know. And at that time, I'd, I was, I'd always been a bit of a sea swimmer in Brighton. I'd but like a fair weather swimmer. Yeah. Never really swam through the winter. Never really occurred to me. And then suddenly, during lockdown, like for many of us, the sea took on this whole other dimension. You know, I've got this massive element at the end of my road. Why hadn't I noticed it before? Mm. You know, why hadn't I gone in? And suddenly, it was just such a lifeline being able to walk out of the house and meet this incredible group of women on the beach and men. And um, and we swam all the way through the winter and all the way through the lockdowns. And it's just been such a joyous thing to meet these people. And I love the friendships that you develop yeah. when you swim with people because you don't really have a clue what they do in real life. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. You just meet them on the water's edge, don't you? You kind of strip down plunge yourself in lots of screaming and then out again <laughs> yeah. i mean it's 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 so lovely and then you suddenly realize that you know like this morning i was i was talking to this one of my swimmer friends and she runs she's been doing this amazing podcast for the world service and it was like wow all these people doing this incredible stuff yeah. i didn't even know and we went out we actually had a party at christmas when we were all dressed up with our makeup on we we're like wow this is what you look like with clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really funny. So anyway, so I decided that I would write a book about that. But also, uh, where we live in Brighton, you know, in lockdown, it became very clear that I mean, it always it always is because we're in sort of central Brighton. The whole homeless issue is a yeah. really big thing, and also people on the streets and people kind of really lost. And I felt very, you know, when I felt very blessed to have my lovely children and my husband and my dog in my house and it was warm and comfortable I was very aware that it that lockdown was very very stressful for a lot of people mm. and there were a lot of people on the streets and I kind of did quite a lot of research about homelessness and you know and actually how difficult it is to find somebody if they're lost so I wanted to take that you know a, you know fish out of water kind of concept for Maddie and her her search for her son and how it all links into these women and their different stories so it's actually really fun to put together and and they kind of what, they weren't people based on my swimming group, although I have to say somebody gave me a brilliant sign, which is up in my kitchen. It says, careful or you'll end up in my novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, it was really nice just having somebody like Helga turn up because she's like in her 70s and it was lovely having a having a storyline for her with a, with a happy ending. And I think it's really important that fiction... Um, fiction represents what what we see you know it's one of those things mm. that if you can see it on screen or if you can see it in a book you feel you feel heard and seen and I think writing about this enormous movement particularly of kind of women certainly in in you know later not young women but a whole range of women swimming in the sea I think it was really important to bring them to life and um to put them on a page. Can I ask you a little bit more about that as well Josie in that you write fiction but the starting point feels like some of your work comes from from a, a personal experience as well. Um, so, for example, with the Cancer Ladies Running Club, and also you've just talked about your experience of sea swimming um, during you know difficult time during the pandemic. How do you approach something like that if you are writing fiction, but it's also coming from a, a, a world that you inhabit or your own personal experience as well? I think with these two books, it was easy. I mean, I've written a lot of novels. I write with Joe Reese and Joanna Reese as well. So I've written yeah. loads of books that are kind of cast of thousands and set internationally and about situations that I will never, ever experience. And I sit in my jogging bottoms in my study, traveling to far-flung places and, you know, <laughs> 
glamour and all sorts of things happening. So I've written lots and lots of different books, and they're not always. I don't always write stuff that's kind of drawn from real life. But when I'm when you write contemporary fiction, that's very much of the now. I think it's important mm. to to pull elements out. So with the running, I included runs, and actually it was based on an experience that I went through, and um, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But it, but basically, I I with the swimming in this book, I based the plot of the book on actual swims that I'd done yeah. so yeah. there was a real authenticity to the not the people but the actual sea as a character was something that was very real and very taken from real life so I think you can with when you write contemporary I'm a real magpie and I'm a real believer in taking elements from things so you know you, you, mag, you pick bits of jeopardy and you pick bits of this and that so mm. I'm I really like um I really like that so you know you don't have to make some it doesn't have to be all autobiographical or all fictional you can you can cherry pick elements of it and actually for me you know cherry picking the actual swim and the sea was the way to go forward for this yeah and then you kind of build up the plot you know I, you learn every time that you, you start with a real conflict um and your readers are reading for that was the resolution of yeah. that conflict so you have to start putting you have to put all your characters in a situation where they've all got something to learn all they all have to get from a to b and then you work, you weave them through. And, you know, over the years, you know, I've been writing for over 25 years professionally. And what I have learned is that you should plan your book. Funny that. I mean, I've always been a bit of a seat of your pants kind of girl. But actually, as time's gone on, I've realized that you actually really need to plan. And my my latest book that I'm writing at the moment is a Cozy Crime. Yeah. And uh, I thought I'd try my hand because I've always put sort of like Jeopardy elements in my books. And I thought, well, my agent said, why don't you try, you know, you'd be really good at cosy crime, you know, and if it's all the rage, why don't you do it a go? So I'm writing a cosy crime book, which has taken an enormous amount of planning. But actually now I've got a really good plan. It's great because I can just sit down and do my thousand words a day and tra la la la, it builds up. That's fantastic so, as well. If you as a um, having you know having had twenty five years of experience, that you can, I feel like we are talking to the you know the expert on this as well because we've so many different writers we've spoken to have so many different approaches. Um, I'm currently in editing mode of my fourth novel at the moment. And I definitely wish I had done a bit more planning beforehand because I keep yeah. getting to bits and thinking, God, I don't even remember writing. <laughs> Where's that bit going? But it takes a long time to learn. And it's, it's interesting with, with books because the more you write, the more you learn. And yeah. actually, I've just edited a book. I wrote a really massive bonk buster in 2007 called Platinum, which was about three women who take down um, a Russian oligarch. So Peaches Gold, who I, who I based on a really old Hollywood madam called Heidi Flight. Um, and uh, so there's, uh, there's the maid, the hooker and the lady. So there's Frankie Willis, the maid on the mega yacht. There's Peter's Gold, the hooker, and then Lady Emma Harvey, and they all get completely shafted by this really evil um, Russian oligarch called uh, Yuri Kordinsky. And uh, so they all decide to take revenge on him. So it's a revenge story. It was really good fun to write. Massive, yeah. massive, fab, fab cast character. And I've just gone back to it because I'm, I'm issuing it in the States because it, I never got American deals, but I've got my rights back and I'm going to indie publish them in the States which is like the first time I've done indie publishing, but it's a really fun, exciting adventure. I'm doing it with Emlyn. But going back and, re- and and editing a book that I wrote 15 years ago, I've realised I'm a much better writer now than I was then. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of getting into rooms in it. <laughs> you know, as you do, trying to get people 
onto the page, it takes quite a while to get the confidence to just plonk people in the middle of the scene or to start the scene in the middle. Quite often, yeah. I kind of try and walk people into things. My big, my big uh, fault as a writer, which has taken me ages to get over to learn, is um, I really, I really concertina everything at the beginning into a day quite often i'm not very good at planning timing and stretching the timing out yeah so i i one of the big tips that i've learned is to just try and have a timeline and over the what happens is that i write a book <laughs> the editor gets it and then the editor writes a timeline yeah. and comes back to me and goes hmm on my timeline this doesn't make any sense and i'm like <laughs> oh why didn't i do a timeline so uh so yes timelining and planning so what what's your what's the, what does the planning stage actually look like for you in terms of the nuts and bolts? Is that, um, you know, some people have a spreadsheet or like a working document, like a treatment? I, I wrote a 40-page treatment. Yeah. So I wrote a big, uh, massive treatment um, that's all about uh, all the plot, all the characters, a very, very detailed plot of what's going on. So, um, yeah, really interesting to kind of do that because it, it I, and I really, really had to get the plot going because in a cozy crime you you have to know what the murder was and who did it and why and then work back so it's, it, you have to get the center of the onion first yeah. before you put the before you work back and disguise it in with all the layers yeah so, there's no room for error really is there with a cozy crime you've got to, yeah so the cozy crime is a different thing because actually you know writing women's commercial fiction where you've got a central theme like revenge or rivalry or something like that um, I've always found it, you know, there's a lot of room for manoeuvring and getting other characters on the page. And, you know, I've, I've had vague plans before and then sort of it's come together. But with, with crime, you have to have a really tight plot, really, really tight plot. It, 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 there has to be no room for because because you have to get all those little details worked out. So actually, the planning stage took a proper, proper month, six weeks. Mm. And I got it wrong first time. I made it too crimey. And my agent, you know, said, no, no, you haven't quite got the end of the stick. So I had to really go back and and really think about it and and get the right tone. It's tone. It's always Mm, the tone. But that's great, though, isn't it? Because when you start writing... Yeah, when you start kind of, when you can kind of then get into the into the actual story, you've got your framework, haven't you? You're, de- you're not having to yeah. deliberate over the those bits and bobs. It's like, right, here's my story. Now comes a mass creative fun part of writing it. Yeah, yeah. And it's always really fun, you know, puffing life into a novel. You know, yeah. it's always really fun at the beginning and then you get to the middle. It's interesting because I did a marathon once. Um, I ran a marathon when I first came to Brighton and... Um, and about halfway through the marathon, I suddenly realised, oh, thought this, I've got this, I know how to do this, because it's exactly the same as writing a novel. Right. Because you start off, you tell everybody you're going to do it, you start <laughs> off, you're full of enthusiasm, off you go, you're feeling great, yeah, this is easy, crazy, I can do this. And then you get to the middle and you're like, what on earth have I done? Yeah. yeah. This was a really <laughs> shockingly terrible idea. No idea. I can't see the end, can't see the beginning, I'm totally lost in the middle. And then you kind of just have to put one foot in front of the other and keep going and have faith that you will get through to the end. And then you get to the end and you do it and you go, oh, I did that. Yeah, yeah. And like childbirth, you say, cut, that was easy, I'll do that again. (laughs) But also, but I mean, I don't know about you, but I always find that, I mean, I always liken writing a novel quite often to um, 
doing a sculpture where you are chipping off bits of bits of rock and a re- and and a, and a shape comes into view, yeah. and you suddenly realise by the end when you've got when you've revealed it all, it's like a process of, of, of revelation, isn't it? But you you get to the end, and you go, oh, it's that. Yeah, I didn't realise it was that. If I'd known it was that, I'd written it, I'd have written it differently. But you know, you <laughs> never know. That's that's part of the alchemy of it. And so, obviously, you you mentioned you know that you do a lot of writing with Emily with your husband. I remember. Um, reading come together like back in the early noughties or whatever and loving it but so what is what's that process like like writing with another person well that happened really by accident that book so basically I mean this is quite a funny story so basically I had written my first novel it could be you and I had no idea about the publishing process I was young I was 26 I was I had blind faith that it would get published no, I mean, it just didn't really occur to me that it wouldn't get published. Anyway, I gave it to my Dawn, who worked in Random House, basically as a tea girl. And she read it and she put a star on one page and three pages later she put another star and across the top she wrote, one fuck too many. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first experience of editing. Anyway, it went up and up and up through uh, uh, Random House and eventually this editor said, well, I'm off on maternity leave, but this girl can write, she needs an agent. Mm-hmm. And Vivian Schuster at Curtis Brown owes me a favour. So I sent my manuscript to Vivian Schuster at Curtis Brown, who was a massive doyen of publishing. She's she was she's Jilly Cooper's agent, Margaret Atwood's agent. She, you know, she's like top notch. Anyway, Emlyn was her assistant. So Emlyn read my book and recommended it to Viv. Anyway, so off I go to the Haymarket in my on my bike with my manuscript, and I'm sitting in Viv's office going, "Oh, so what do you do then?" She's like, "Darling, darling, well I'll take you on as a as a you know as a novelist, and I'll get you a, a deal and." You know, you pay me 10%, but everything will be sorted. And they said, Emlyn, Emlyn, get Joe a cup of tea. Get Josie a cup of tea. Anyway, and that's how I first met Emlyn. So came kind of mate because he's a slut, as he tells me constantly, he's 20 months younger than me. So he was <laughs> literally of a different generation. But anyway, so he's a little bit younger than me. But he was also in the same boat. So he was writing his first, he'd written his first novel. And then, you know, I got a deal for it could be you. So we sort of became confidants and friends. And then... We used to go, but we didn't have the same social life at all. But we were both larking around in London in our 20s. And I would, <laughs> we would go to the pub and he would tell me about his love life. And I would go to the pub and tell him about my love life. And never the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. We were kind of laughing about how different our perspective was. And anyway, one night we got absolutely hammered. And the next morning he rang me up from work and he went, do you remember what we were talking about last night? And I went, oh, God. <laughs> what did I say? and he said D, would you like to write a novel with me because you know we said we should write this stuff down it's really funny so anyway he went to Wales with all of his mates and got all of their worst stories about being single men and wrote this chapter from the point of view of this guy called Jack and it was like a single guy in London and the very last sentence of it is when he goes to a club and he taps this girl on the shoulder and she turns around and we don't know anything about her and that was a cliffhanger for me to write a character. So I thought his chapter was hilarious and outrageous and really funny. So I went off and I wrote Amy in reply, which was kind of me as a sort of single girl. It was kind of a lot of my experiences and my girlfriend's experience rolled into this kind of 20-something erotic girl. Anyway, so we wrote this book. And when we got the first two chapters together, when it was him, his point of view and her point of view, we realised that we had comedy gold. Oh, and to our complete surprise, um, we got a massive book deal, huge book auction ensued, 
And, you know, the publishers came around with life-size checks and boxes of con- <laughs> coloured condoms. We were really cautious. It was really bananas. <laughs> and also bear in mind that Emily was working at the agent's office. Yeah. Anyway, this huge, huge book deal happened. Actually, it was the 25th wedding anniversary of it in January, which was very, it was the most exciting day. can't even tell you. I'd been over in Essex. Uh, talking on Essex Radio about my book, which had just come out, It Could Be You. And I remember going to the Haymarket, the Curtis Brown offices, and Emlyn walking down the corridor and picking me up and twirling me around and saying, we've got a deal with Random House. And it was for £270,000, which was just, it felt like... Oh, my God, yeah. Enormous amount of money on two on two chapters. So, so now we're signed up for two books. And my friend's like, who the hell's Emlyn? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we kind of landed up having this ridiculous thing where we wrote this book and it was like a novel of letters. So he would write a chapter and give it to me. And I would like, I'd be like, you bastard, you can't do that to my character. And I'd roll up my sleeve and kind of do a return chapter. So we wrote this warts and all book about these these characters that jump into bed together and then realise that they actually do really like each other. Meanwhile, we're having the world's most Victorian relationship because we're, you know, spending, we're, you know, we all of our friends are absolutely skinned and we've got money, so we're going out to restaurants and stuff, <laughs> like having a nice time. But, but Are you together right, at this but, point? No, we're having this really, really Victorian relationship, but I'm completely falling for him at this point yeah. because I'm like, oh my God, because, I, you know, he's really funny and just charming and I'm suddenly like, oh my God, I really fancy my writing partner. This is disaster. This is not supposed to happen. Anyway, it eventually got to the point where we just, I said to him, are we going to talk about this? And he went, absolutely not. And, left <laughs> and I was like, oh, that went wrong. And, uh, and I, as he, he said, there's 10 really good reasons why we can't get together. And um, so I stood up and kissed him and that was that. Bagged and tagged. with him. <laughs> And then, uh, and then we got together. So it was hilarious because then come, then come together came out, and it was like number one for ten weeks. We were on the front of every newspaper. We did all the big television. We did breakfast television. We did the big breakfast. We did, and then meanwhile, it was kind of a massive hit in Holland and France and Germany. So we were kind of thrust into this enormous limelight, having sort of just got together. And um, everyone thought the book was about us. But of course, it wasn't about us. It was, you know, about us as our single self. But then we were sort of together, and then we. But it was so we were quite fortunate in that our working practice had been established before we got together. Yeah. So then we. So then we would still write in different chapters and plan together. But it was a kind of process over the years, really, of trying to work out how it was going to go and planning. But we kind of set. We we worked separately and then handed over what we'd written really trying to impress the other person we yeah. you know we, yeah. we really try and make work really good before we hand it over to the other person and we still edit each other's work and we still don't let a book go out of the house without the other person's feedback so that involves a tremendous yeah. amount of trust doesn't it between a between yeah. the pair of, but also yeah. just with your I mean it's ast- astonishing and astounding must have been to have your such an absolutely epic sized first book deal did you feel the pressure of that to then write the next one? Because that's yes. um Yes, and it was weird and it was uh, difficult because we were right we wrote this next book which was called Come Again, um and it was about, you know, Jack and Amy's hen and stag do. And it was quite a warts and all book. I mean we wrote it but it had quite a lot of drugs in it, you know, you know, as people were behaving at mm. that time. And our editors went, no, oh, no, 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 this book has got far too wide an appeal. You can't do that. And sort of like neutered the whole book. But it wasn't very good because we'd kind of written it very fast. And we were under this enormous amount of pressure. I remember going down to 
a cottage in West Wales and we were kind of frenzied working through the night trying to get this book finished. And it was not as great as it could have been. And it was a real lesson. And when the when the um, critics came out, they sort of said, oh, it's not as good as the first one, which is true. It wasn't as good as the first mm. one, but it still smarted. And I remember being in a service station um, and we went and got the Sunday papers and and I sat there weeping, kind of looking at all the reviews. And it was really, it was a really harsh lesson, actually. Mm. I mean, we got lots of books. I mean, we wrote seven books together and we did really well because we kind of got a run of books. And actually what they wanted really was come together come together you know ad nauseum yeah you know you may wanted jack and amy to just continue but the problem is we didn't want to do that we didn't want to you know we were getting married we were having our first daughter we didn't want to plunder our lives in the way that we plundered our single lives for material because then it just all became it became very exposing yeah after a while because we were on all these chat shows and people talking about us and our relationship and it just and then it's quite he's much less outgoing than I am and he found it really difficult and mm. overexposing so you know we went very much more into fiction then and and kind of made lovely books together but they weren't they weren't kind of as well warts and all as, as Jack and Amy was but I mean that's what that's what did it and I actually you know I'm really grateful that I had that massive success young because I was just totally naive about the whole thing I yeah. just thought oh this is what always happens. We always land up on the front page of the Sunday Telegraph. It's so you know, brilliant. It's just a lesson, though, in confidence, isn't it? We, I think as as writers, as women, it's really important to just back ourselves as well. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. been so brilliant talking to you, Josie. The time has just absolutely flown. I think we could probably feel oh, yeah. kind of... Yeah, I know. It could feel like a whole series probably just talking about your career. But um, if... Um, you know, we've talked a bit about, um, you know, I guess your naivety of the process when you started out. But if you had um, a piece of advice for our listeners who are just getting into writing or, you know, what uh, what would that be? It's a bums on seat job. You can't get around the fact that it is a bums on seat job. And you just need to set yourself a word count every day and stick to it. And however your process works, you just have to do it. So I try and write a thousand words a day when I'm kind of writing a book because actually what you need is to get it down, yeah. get it written and get it right. And don't, you know, people say about writer's block and everything, just even if you write banana, 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 just keep going until something comes through because you will find a tiny snippet of conversation or a little chink into a theme will come and you just have to trust that your subconscious is working on it. Yeah. So yeah. even though... It is a bums on seats, but it's not a bums on seats where you have to sit for like thousands of hours every day and yeah. do it because it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, you know, that's not how creativity and inspiration comes. So trust that your subconscious is doing it, but but do try and do a word count every day. Even if it's like 200 words every day, you have to try and do it. Thank you, Josie. That's absolutely fabulous advice. And for anybody who's listening and want to find you online and um, where would they uh, do you, what are your kind of social handles and things like that oh, I'm, uh, at Lloyd writer on instagram and facebook and i am uh on twitter i'm not great on twitter i was a very early adopter of twitter but i've kind of tailed off over the years but um yes i'm definitely on uh, find me on instagram uh because i do that most of that but yeah do find me and uh yeah so life things for beginners is out now and uh, the new one will be out in May next year. Fantastic. Well, we, yeah, we very much look forward to reading that as well. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and telling us your fabulous story as well. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, and you guys. Best of luck for the podcast. All the best. Thanks, Thanks. Josie. Bye. 
We hope you found some inspiration in that chat. For more writing resources, go to our website, writingaroundthekids.co.uk, where you'll find tips, prompts and links to our social media. And don't forget, you can still catch up on all the fab episodes from Series 1.